Um, tonight we have a guest speaker. I'm going to introduce him to you. His name is Matt Neely. Matt comes here tonight with his wife Sarah from Southwestern Church of Christ over in Grove City. Um, tell you a little bit about Matt and Sarah. Matt grew up in the you call it the Greater Nashville area around around Nashville, right? Uh, in Nashville, Matt is. You'll know when he speaks that he's from Nashville. He doesn't sound like me or Matt. Our Matt here. And Sarah's wife grew up in Houston, Texas. They actually met at um, the summer camp that Harding has called Uplift, and it's something we're telling our young people about now, thanks to Matt. Uh, our kids have never gone, but everything we've done with Harding's been great and top-notch, so uh, uh, we appreciate Matt telling us about that. But Matt, went, after he met Sarah, he went brain-dead for about four years. Right, Sarah? <laughs> you, did he tell you that he told me this story? They liked each other, and Matt forgot to actually make sure they stayed together during those four years. So Matt goes off to Freed Hardeman and um, is pursuing his degree in Bible. And about four years later, I can't remember exactly how the connection comes around, but somebody just basically took a club and hit him in the head and said, call Sarah. You know, that's pretty much how it worked. And he called Sarah and they uh, got married in 2010. Um, Sarah actually did the program called Adventures in Mission um, from Sunset down in Texas. And she spent some time in Mexico as well on mission work, and so they're a wonderful couple. Uh, so they got married in 2010, and then in 2011, took the full-time work here in Southwestern Church of Christ in Grove City, and uh, very, very thankful for the, the stability that they've provided the body of believers there um, in Grove City. Uh, Matt is here not just because he's a wonderful gospel preacher, and we're excited to have him, but also I want to let you know that Matt, Matt's part of a um, a uh, group of people that have been meeting here at Pickerington for the past six months. Um, about eight or so, sometimes it goes up to ten, sometimes down to six, uh, evangelists and preachers from the area have been getting together every week, on, mostly every week on Thursdays here at Pickerington. Um, and Matt is one of those. And we've got two guys that are training to consider to be in ministry. We've got three guys that are in ministry but maybe less than a year of experience, pretty new in ministry, two guys that have never really been trained in ministry, um, and some of us older people, right, Matt? <laughs> and, um, and I'll tell you, it's been, it's been a great blessing to get to know Matt in this, um, in this process, and I've, I've really enjoyed him. One of the great things I'll tell you that Matt brings to the group is not just what he knows and what he shares, um, but a lot of these guys that are new in ministry, we, we spend the first hour together just encouraging each other, finding out how things are going, anything we can help with. And one of the things I love about Matt is that when these young guys are sharing what they're thinking about working in or some sermon series they're developing or questions they have, um, Matt's voice has been a really, really important stabilizing voice for our group to uh, really encourage those young guys in ministry. So ministry um, can be quite a, can be a bumpy, kind of lonely work sometimes. And this group has been really encouraging to some of these young ministers. And Matt has played a vital role in that. So I'm excited for you to get to know Matt. He's been part of uh, a fellowship that our Matt and I have uh, shared in, and now you get to know him too. So, Matt. Thank you, Anthony, for that introduction. And uh, didn't know you were going to share all those details. And uh, I just hope you've got a little room on your couch this evening, brother. That's all I'm saying. And uh, just for a little point of clarification, because I'll be disowned if I don't clarify, I am from Nashville, Tennessee, not outside of Nashville, Nashville proper, specifically West Nashville, and uh, that is a distinction. You get down there and 
Depending on what part of Nashville you're from, that can be fighting words. You know, brother, that's true. So, but I bring greetings from the church at Southwestern in Grove City. It is just wonderful to be with you, and especially wonderful to be with the brethren here at Pickerington because you do have two wonderful ministers, and the opportunity to speak in this pulpit is few and far between because, like I say, you got two great ministers, and they don't like to give up this pulpit very easily. I think one of the challenges that faces every congregation, whether they've been around five years or 50 years, whether they have 30 members or 300 members, is the question, how do we keep Christians faithful? Now, normally we ask this question in context of our young people. How do we keep our young people faithful? But that question is just as applicable as we consider our older people. How do we keep our older people faithful? Those new converts we have, once we baptize them into Christ, how do we keep them from falling away? I'm reminded of two teenagers I knew growing up, growing up in Nashville. One of them came from the wrong side of the tracks. They came from a part of town that wasn't really worth much and came from a rough family life and as that story goes, one thing led to another and they got involved in drugs. They uh, developed a substance abuse problem that tore their life up. But there was another teenager I knew who came from a very well-to-do family. He went to the best private schools there in Nashville. He lacked for nothing. He was that kid at Christmas that you really just kind of, you just kind of, got mad at because they got everything that they wanted, all the commercials on TV, that's what they got for Christmas. He was that kid. And even though he had led a life of privilege, he too still led a life of addiction. So much so that he squandered his inheritance and spent it all on drugs and frivolous living. You know, sometimes we ask the question, is it someone's nature that they fall away from the faith, or is it nurturing? My answer to you is yes. There are some people that their background just so predisposes them to not be Christians that no matter what they do, they are not willing to commit themselves to Christ. But the answer is also true that our nurturing of people can help lead them to be faithful Christians. I believe that when you look at good Christian families, families where you see faith for generations, you see families where they are properly nurturing their children in the wisdom and admonition of the Lord. And I think as we look in Acts chapter 9 this evening, we find that there is a very strong case for the importance of nurturing Christians. Our lesson this evening is entitled, The Four A's of a Successful Christian. Now David read for us Acts chapter 9, verses 26 to 30, but I want to begin by giving you a little bit about a background on the text. You see, the Apostle Paul had been converted three years previous to Acts chapter 9. After his baptism, he immediately went preaching and teaching the gospel there in Damascus. Now shortly after, the Jews began plotting to kill Paul. And so... Paul goes and spends three years in Arabia. And it's after that period of three years that Paul comes to Jerusalem, and that is where we pick up in our text. 
As we look through Acts chapter 9, verses 26 to 30, we find that there are four things, all conveniently that start with the letter A, because that's how preachers apparently preach, but four things that if we will look at and perhaps even emulate will help us to create successful Christians, to make sure that Christians stay faithful. The first thing is that a new Christian must be accepted. Look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. The motivation for Paul when he came to Jerusalem, he had come to Jerusalem and he attempted to join the disciples, is what the text tells us. So Paul had left the Arabian desert, he had come to Jerusalem, and his whole goal was, I'm going to come to Jerusalem and I'm going to join the Christians there in Jerusalem. So he was seeking acceptance. But when he comes to the church at Jerusalem, all he receives is the cold shoulder. Now, it would be easy just to throw blame on the church at Jerusalem, but I think if we put ourselves in their shoes for a minute, we might have done the same thing. Here was this guy who is notorious for coming and dragging men and women out of their homes, sending them off to be killed approving at the death of Christians. And he just walks in the door and says, Hi, I'd like to worship with you today. I think people with a little common sense might be a little hesitant. They regarded Paul as a persecutor of the church. Someone who was not worthy of their trust. But brethren, I would tell you that that is not how we ought to look at people when they walk through those doors. When people first come to our church, to our congregations, they're seeking acceptance. They're seeking a God who will take them as they are and will accept them. And we need to remember that we need to first accept them as they are in order for them to change and become who God wants them to be. Every single person who comes through that door has a story. Every single person who you meet on the street or who you interact with at work or in your social circles, they have a story. They have a background. And they are looking for a place that will love them. They are looking for a place who will say, we care about you. In Galatians, the third chapter, the Apostle Paul writes this in verse 26 and following. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. People want acceptance. The person who comes in off the street, the brand new Christian. Paul came in to the church there at Jerusalem, still what we would consider a fairly new Christian, and he wanted acceptance. It's our responsibility to look at everyone who comes through those doors, not based on skin color 
net income, education, or any other factor. If we want to help people be successful Christians, we have to look at them through the eyes of God with unconditional love. And we have to be willing to accept them where they are and help take them to where God wants them to go. Secondly, this evening is that a new Christian must be adopted. Look there in verse 27 of Acts chapter 9. Paul comes to the church at Jerusalem. They give him the cold shoulder, but in verse 29 we read, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Now Barnabas' name, we know, means son of encouragement. Paul comes to the church there at Jerusalem. He's seeking acceptance. And it is Barnabas who reaches out to Paul. It's interesting because as we look at the things that Barnabas vouched for Paul about, You notice that he vouches for his experience on the Damascus Road. Barnabas wasn't on the Damascus Road. Nor was he probably in Damascus when Paul was preaching boldly. So that means that when Paul came to Jerusalem and came to the church there, that Barnabas was willing to sit down and hear him out. He heard his story. And he was willing to go to the brethren there at Jerusalem and vouch for Paul. We should never underestimate the impact and role that a mentor can have on our faith. Throughout the New Testament, we see the older, more mature individuals among the congregation mentoring the younger. We know that Paul himself frequently adopted Christians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 15 and 16, Paul says, For though you do not have many countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So the apostle Paul viewed himself as the spiritual father of the Christians there in Corinth. He saw himself as responsible for their well-being and upbringing. He saw himself as responsible for how they walked in Christ Jesus. I think about Timothy. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 22. Paul says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Paul adopted Timothy. He trained him as a son. And so when he writes, that's the relationship they have. And it's very interesting to me that Barnabas adopts Paul when he comes to Jerusalem. And Paul continues that adoption throughout his ministry. I think about my life in the gospel as a Christian. I think about growing up in Nashville. I did not grow up in the church. My parents did not attend. And if I ever get an opportunity to come back, I may share a little bit more about that story with you. But being a Christian when you don't have any family 
in the church is a hard position to be in. But I had a couple of individuals, Lance Curtis and Danny Greer, who meant the world to me as a teenager. These men were dads in the youth group. And even though they didn't have to, they looked after me as though I was their own. They loved me like a father, even though we had no biological relation. But in fact, we did have a relationship. We were brothers in Christ. And it, it lifts my day, it makes my day just a little bit better when every few months I hear from them. They're just checking in, want to know how I'm doing. Let them know, they, they say, we're proud of you, Matt, keep up the good work. And over a decade since I left the church there in Nashville, they're still like fathers to me. And I still think upon them very fondly. We have to be sure, church, that we are adopting new Christians and mentoring them in the faith. One of the ways that we fall short sometimes is we are so eager to get them in this baptistry because we know that once they're baptized, they're washed clean. But we need to remember that after they're washed clean, there's still a responsibility. We have to continue to make sure that they walk that path of faith, that they continue in the commandments of God and are obedient to His teaching. And so our responsibility doesn't end. Now, not everybody is going to adopt every single person. It's, it's not that you get that close to every single person. But you should be looking to see how you can reach out to new converts. How can you help someone in their faith journey? If we were to take the time to go around the room... I think we could all probably talk about those great men and women of faith who their example really value, is valued to us. Their example that taught us how to be a Christian. Maybe even their teaching. We would sit in their Bible classes and we learned so much. I always love the stories about people who remember Bible lessons some 30 years down the road. That teacher made such an impact on that student. So a new Christian must be accepted. A new Christian must be adopted. Thirdly, this evening, church, a new Christian must be active. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 28, we read that he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Paul, from the start of his faith, was active in proclaiming the gospel. Paul was more likely, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Paul was more than likely here in verse 28 preaching to the Jews that Jesus was the fulfillment of Old Testament, Old Testament prophecy. The Greek term here that is rendered boldly in most of our translations is the same word that is rendered boldly in verse 27. And I like how the NIV translates it in verse 27, saying that Paul preached fearlessly. I think that accurately communicates the idea here. 
Once Paul became a Christian, he was convicted that he had a responsibility to tell others about Jesus Christ. And he started with those he knew, his brothers and sisters of Judaism. And so he preached boldly. He preached fearlessly. He was not ashamed of the gospel. He was not ashamed of his conversion. From the moment Paul became a Christian, he was active in the work of the church. One study has shown that people who become active in a congregation are more likely to stay and build their faith. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 11, Paul talks about some of the different roles that are within a congregation. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up, the body of Christ. And so Paul here in Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about four different roles that are found within the local body. Apostles, which we don't have anymore. Prophets, which we don't have anymore. But evangelists, pastors, and teachers, uh, we still have. You still have evangelists, Anthony, Matt, And you still have pastors, elders. You have men who their job is to help grow the congregation, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You see, it is the responsibility of every member in the congregation to find ways in which they can serve. To to find ways where they can further the cause of Christ. And there are many different ways. Scripture talks about several different ways. Scripture talks about, in 1 Timothy 5, taking care of widows. James 1 talks about taking care of widows and orphans. Titus 2 mentions training young men and women. The list goes on and on. It's about finding your ministry, finding something that you can be active in, and then bringing somebody else into it with you. I do a lot of work with technology in the church and invariably in every congregation, I won't say every, but I'll say a lot of congregations, there's one tech guy. Like one guy that knows it, right? There's one guy that knows the sound stuff, the website stuff, all those things, and if he dies, we're in trouble. Because I've given lectures and I've had somebody come up to me before and say, yeah, our, our guy over technology just passed away. What do you think we should do? Start from scratch. But sometimes we have ministries where there's just one person involved and we could just as easily add someone else into that work. Food banks. We do a laundromat ministry at Southwestern where we go out and we give away free uh, laundry pods, dryer sheets, and that kind of thing just to make somebody's day a little bit better. Working with the youth. The list goes on and on. I know a good sister in Christ who decided that she wanted to teach her girls about sewing. And so she taught them about sewing. And then that led to a ministry where they made clothes to send overseas to Africa to the Christians there. And so the the possibilities for how someone can serve are limitless. But if you've ever had this experience... 
where you're the new person. You may be standing there and you may really want to get involved, but you're just a little bit bashful. Wow, I'd really like to get involved with that, that food pantry, but I, I don't want to ask. And we who are the, the old hands at it, we go, well, they just should have asked. And we just said, absolutely. Well, sometimes being a leader means identifying someone who has an ability and identifying someone who has an interest and asking them if they would like to come and help. And so, as we are the church, we each have an individual responsibility. It's not just the elder's responsibility. It's not just your deacon's responsibility or your evangelist's responsibility. We all have a responsibility to look for ways in which we can help Christians be active. And sometimes it's as simple as inviting them to every service. Especially when you get a new brother and sister in Christ who just, who just needs the word who needs that spiritual milk. Sometimes all it takes is for you to walk up to them and say, hey, missed you Sunday night. Or I'd love for you to come with us on Wednesday night to services. That's all it takes. So again, a new Christian must be accepted. A new Christian must be adopted. A new Christian must be active. And lastly this evening, church, a new Christian will be assaulted. We read there in Acts chapter 9 verses 29 and 30 that the result of Paul's preaching was that people wanted to kill him. The result of Paul's fearless preaching was that they wanted him dead. Paul goes on to later recount the sufferings that he endured as an evangelist and an apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 24 to 28. He says five times... I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. See what you got to look forward to, David? Paul's ministry was not easy. And whatever person started this lie that once you become a Christian, it's all easy street, oh boy. There could be nothing further from the truth. Once you become a Christian, life continues to be hard. We've been working through a sermon series at Southwestern on just that fact. The fact that even though you can be doing everything right, life is still going to be tough. But Christians especially so because we are held to a higher standard. We are held to God's standard. Scripture tells us that there are two ways in which Christians can be assaulted. The first of those is physically. In Matthew chapter 5 verses 10 and 11... We read, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. 
falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now we in America are very blessed that physical persecution has not really been a thing for us in the last 50, 60 years. But nobody knows what the next 50, 60 years has in store. But I can tell you that today, you have brothers and sisters in Christ, a continent away, who are being physically persecuted for their faith. You have brothers and sisters in Christ who, for them to go to church, could be a death sentence. And that is an ever-present possibility and one that we need to be aware of and maybe try not to be too comfortable with because we don't have to face it here in America. The thing that we do face here in America that tends to be more prevalent is spiritual assault. Apostle Peter admonishes the Christians he's writing to in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. He says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. For most of us, the biggest battle we will fight are the spiritual ones. The battles within our mind. The battle where we have to decide what's the right thing to do. Do I make this choice or do I make that choice? And I'll tell you, church, that that, for a lot of people, can be the difference in faithfulness and faithlessness. But if you are preparing for that, if you're looking out after your brothers and sisters in Christ, Galatians chapter 6 tells us that we're to bear with one another our burdens. If we are practicing that, then there's a good chance that we can help someone not make that poor choice. It's just about being focused on our responsibility. I would encourage you, church, that there are four ways in which we can nurture Christians to be successful. It's not a guarantee, for there is no guarantee with this, but I promise you that if you will put these into practice, the number of Christians that stay faithful will go up. If you are willing to accept them, adopt them, encourage them to be active, and prepare them to be assaulted. If you were to ask the Apostle Paul about his experience with the Jerusalem congregation, I think he might say something like this. I showed up. You have to forgive me. In my mind, Paul's got a southern accent. I showed up, and they gave me the cold shoulder, all except Barnabas, who took me in, and encourage them to accept me and give me a chance. Barnabas really adopted me. He looked after me and soon I became active in preaching the word of God with the church at Jerusalem. Sadly, those Jews who previously had been my brothers in faith now sought to kill me because of my faith. But the brothers in the church at Jerusalem protected me even after our rough start. I now look back and think fondly 
on the church at Jerusalem. As I said, I wish I could tell you that if you just do these four things, that every Christian will remain faithful. Sadly, we all know that's just not true. No matter what we do, there are still some people who are going to fall away. But does that mean that we give up? That we stop trying? No. It means that we redouble our efforts. That we do our part. If we can help them to be ready, then there's only one thing really left in this equation. Remember back to the story I opened with this evening? The two teenagers? I wish I could tell you that their stories ended happy. It does for one. Both were loved and supported by their families. But only one was able to beat the addiction. Sadly, the other succumbed to their addiction several years later. But at the end of the day, it's about the final choice that every individual has to make. Will we serve God or will we serve ourselves? This evening as we transition to the invitation, I ask you, what will your answer be? Will you serve God or will you serve yourself? Are you still waiting to be a Christian? Is there something that is holding you back? Let me encourage you that if you believe in the gospel message, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he lived a sinless life, that he came and died on the cross for your sins and was resurrected on the third day, if you believe that, do something about it. Quit putting it off. Repent of your sins. Ask God to forgive you of the sins that have stained your past. Commit to live for him for each and every day in the future. Then when we sing our invitation song, we ask that you would come forward, publicly confessing Jesus as Lord, and then be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. Doing that, you will become a new creation, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And then you can start this day clean. You can start this day with a fresh start, with a congregation who will accept you, adopt you, encourage you to be active, and help prepare you for the assault that will face you. So that when you pass on from this world, you can go to heaven and hear those beautiful words, well done, my good and faithful servant. We also extend the invitation at this time, if there are any Christians here who need to respond in a public way, know that the reason the church exists is to help one another. And so if there is someone here who is in need, we ask that you would come forward so that your church can pray with you and help you. But whatever you need this evening, we ask that you come at this time as together we stand and together we sing.